been faithful, have you? Let's, let's continue to praise him for a minute. Because I think it, it's helpful to remember who he is and what he's done, isn't it? And we, and we just got to join, I believe, with all the earth and, and heaven's angels declaring the greatest truth. Great are you, Lord. He alone is worthy. He alone is good. He alone deserves our adoration and our praise. And I thank you for worshiping this, him this morning. And I just wanted to stop and just and just celebrate that because we're going to celebrate today. We're going to talk about that some. But that is the one thing that, that we celebrate above all others, that God alone is good. God alone is worthy. Would you guys pray with me? Father, we are so grateful, um, so grateful for you, for your love and your grace, for your kindness towards us, uh, your faithfulness. Lord, even this week, the way that you have worked, the way that you have moved to allow this to happen, I'm thankful. God, grateful for a church that worships, that sings your praise, and that doesn't hold back. And I pray that's always our identity, is, is that we're sons and daughters who worship you freely. And God, this morning, I pray that you would speak through your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. That it wouldn't be my words or anyone else's, but it would be your words that we hear, that we listen to, that we obey today. We love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. You can have a seat. Well, I see that everyone is back. Does everybody hold up your fingers? You, all, you got all your fingers and toes? That's, that, over here, that's... <laughs> There is some doubt on these guys behind me all over here because I know that they were excited about blowing some stuff up. Um, but we, we got to celebrate um, our independence this week. We got to celebrate freedom as a nation. And I hope you enjoyed yourselves. I hope you had a good time. I hope that uh, you were safe and responsible and you picked up your mess and all that good stuff. But, uh, but it was good to, to get to celebrate. Uh, I know that we all do that in, in different ways. Are y'all here to do this? This is good? Okay. I knew it was down and different from when I walked up here, so I'm just making sure y'all are good. If y'all are good, I'm good. Um, celebrating the 4th. Uh, I, I think we, we do that a lot different. For, for some of you guys, you just went to work on Monday. Um, your job requires that, that your holidays look different from everybody else's, and, and we're thankful for you, and we appreciate you, and some people that you just had to go on to work, uh, and, and that's awesome, and, and praise God for you. Uh, some of us, some of you may, may went to the lake or the river or the beach, you went on vacation, you got to play in the water and have a good time. I'm a little jealous, but that's how we celebrate um, many of you probably gathered with family or friends and to watch or shoot fireworks. I know that, that we did that, and I always love watching my kids and other kids respond to loud explosions above their head that seem to rain down fire on them. It could be a lot of fun, uh, especially if you get a front row seat. Um, Maple, the first year he watched, we didn't tell him to do anything. You know, the first one went up, and he went... He was like two, and he loved it. And I was like, okay, this is different. My girls were terrified. So I like this. This is good. Um, but I think that the thing that all of us enjoy doing, uh, especially as Americans, the way we celebrate is we like to eat food. 
right? My family, the only reason we don't go on vacation is to eat at different places. Like the whole purpose of us going on trips is so we can eat at different places and get our favorite foods. That, that's kind of the way we approach food. And, and a few facts about the fourth and food in America, okay? It's estimated that Americans eat approximately 150 million hot dogs every 4th of July. Some of y'all participate in that. You know, Joey Chestnut, he's the world record holder for the most hot dogs eaten in 10 minutes. He ate 63 hot dogs and buns this year while wrestling a protester. I thought that was an impressive term. He got to choke hold a guy in the middle of it. Um, so I figure if he can eat 63, we probably can get close to 150 million. That's a lot of hot dogs. Um, so we, we buy about 190 million pounds of red meat or pork leading up to the 4th. So that's a lot of burgers, a lot of steaks, right? Because most of y'all are probably not making a, a pound hamburger and eating it. You're probably making a quarter pounder. And you're getting your old Boston butt out there and, and, and smoking it and eating it. And I'm getting hungry and hope y'all are too. Um, and then about 750 million pounds of chicken. This one surprised me a little bit, but I figure, you know, down in the South, we a little different from everywhere else. Everybody's trying to be a little health conscious, a little chicken. But if you do it like I do, then it's not healthy anyway. So it's good though. But we like to eat. We like to, to celebrate our freedom. And nothing says freedom like a, an all-you-can-eat backyard barbecue. I love it, and I appreciate it. And I think that it's certainly something we should celebrate as Americans, our freedom. That we get to come in here and worship. Uh, that we get to go to work and earn money and own land and those things. I think that's something we should celebrate and, and never take for granted. But the reality is that earthly freedom is only temporary. Our freedom here on this earth is only temporary. Um, I know you don't like to hear that and don't like to be reminded of that. Like I don't, but it's the truth. Um, it can be taken away. Um, in the last two weeks, <clears throat> we talked a lot about obedience. Uh, and we kind of continue in that conversation. But today we get to talk about what true freedom is and what true freedom looks, looks like. Um, a couple weeks ago, Ross led us through the passage about Philip going to share the gospel with the, the Ethiopian unit. He was led by the Spirit, and he obeyed. And we were challenged to go and do the same, to obey the Holy Spirit as he leads us to share the gospel with our friends and our family and our neighbors. And then last week, we looked at the consequences of disobedience as we studied the life of Saul together and saw how we saw how Saul completely blew it and how we're a lot like it, right? Um, we mess things up when we're left to our own wisdom and our own abilities. Uh, we fall into the same traps that he did. We fall into sin. But we also learn that we can overcome and escape those consequences by placing our faith in Jesus. So today we dive a little bit deeper. We're going to start out in Galatians 5. We're also going to look through the book of Romans a little bit because uh, Paul was often writing about freedom in Christ because he was right excuse me, to, to folks who hadn't experienced much freedom as Jews and Greeks and, and new believers. So there's a lot to clear up, and he does a good job of it. So if you've got a Bible, Galatians chapter 5, we'll start right at the beginning at verse 1. And I'll get there too, and we'll go. 
It says, chapter 5, verse 1, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. So I think this raises some pretty good questions. These are questions that I want us to address this morning. What does true freedom look like? Christ has set you free, truly set us free. What does that look like? Um, is obedience really required of followers of Christ if we are free? If we've been given this freedom, then is obedience still a part of that? Can we live in obedience to the law if we've been set free from the law? These are questions that I think are important, and I think that we'll, we'll answer through um, our, our discussion today. And we're going to talk about it really in, in two sections. We're going to talk about things that we're freed from and things that we're freed to. And so if you've got the outline here, we're going to jump right in. Number one, in Christ you have been set free from the penalty and power of sin. Romans 6 is, is where Paul covers this pretty thoroughly, so I encourage you to read that chapter. But a few highlights from what he wrote there in, in verse 6 and 7. It says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. He goes on to say, verse 20, when we were slaves to sin... When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So by faith in Jesus, we no longer suffer the consequences of sin, the eternal consequences of sin. That's been removed. Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So our slate has been wiped clean. Our sins have been forgiven forever. We no longer carry the shame or the fear of past sins and we don't have to bear the weight of future sin because Jesus took care of all of that on the cross. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us or on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. It's already been dealt with. It's already been settled. Our sin is a non-issue in regards to our eternity. Because of God's incredible undeserved grace, those of us who are in Christ are made right with God and set free from sin's penalty. The theological term for this is that we are justified. We're justified before God. We're made just. We're made right before Him. The redneck way to remember this, it's justified never sin. I stole that from J.D. Greer, and I think it's perfect for a redneck like me. Because that, that helps you remember what that means. When Jesus looks, when, when God looks at you, if you're in Christ, he no longer sees the sinner that you were. He no longer sees those bad decisions, those things that you can't get over, that you struggle to forgive yourself for. God doesn't look at you and see those. When God looks at you, if you're in Christ, he sees Christ. You're covered by the precious blood of Jesus. And so when God looks at you, he sees his son's perfection. He sees his son's good works. He sees his son's finished work on the cross. 
The Bible says that our works on our own is like filthy rags. But when we're in Christ, we're justified, and he looks at us and he sees Jesus. Our sins are no more in his perspective. He sees the righteousness of his son. So we're free from the penalty of sin, but we're also set free from the power of sin. This is Romans 6.20 says, you no longer have to sin. Before, when we're walking in our own power, when we're living on our own might, we had no choice but to sin. It says that we were not obligated, we were free from the obligation to do right. We had no choice but to do wrong. And, and think about it. If you're left to do things on your own by your own power, what always happens? We always mess it up, don't we? We always go the wrong way. We always rebel. If you read the Old Testament, what happened to the Israelites? Every time God rescued them, delivered them, told them to do right, what did they do? They did wrong. They turned the wrong way. It's like... And when I was a kid, especially, you know, you read from one page to the next, and you don't realize time has passed. And I'm just reading this going, man, these guys are terrible. They didn't even last two pages, you know. We know it was more time than that, but, but the result is still the same. There was still that cycle of trying harder, trying to obey, failing, being disappointed, suffering, and coming back to God. That was the, the, the pattern of the Old Testament that we see. We had no choice to do right, but to do wrong. But in Christ, as we talked about last week, now we have the power to choose what is right and what is good. Think about before you were Christ, before you knew Christ, for those of you who are believers. Think about the things that you used to desire, that you used to long for, that you used to love, and you used to pursue. Aren't some of those things different now? Can't you look back at your life and, and thank God because he's freed you and he's delivered you from things that were wrong, that were bad, but that you used to value and chase after? And he set you free from that? That's when God has set us free from the power of sin. That's the power of freedom. But at the same time, if you're like me, aren't there still some things that you still struggle with? Some sins that you're still like, man, I've been dealing with that all my life. I wish it would just go away. And we still struggle, don't we? Well, the way that David Platt and Tony Barrett write this in the commentary, read, it says, We are freed objectively, technically, legally, from the guilt of sin. But we struggle to be free subjectively, experientially, and daily from the grip of sin. So we know that we're free. We know that sin has no power over us. But we still struggle day in and day out. Because we still have this flesh. We still live in this body. And so we still struggle with the grip of sin. We know this is true. We, we know what I, you know that what I just told you is true. But it's still difficult for us to live it out day in and day out in our lives. To practice it. So let's continue reading and, and see what more we can learn. It says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. So the second thing I want us to look at, in Christ you have been set free from legalism and from a license to sin. 
So legalism is defined as this. It's trying to earn God's acceptance by good works and trying to make others do the same thing. Here's how this works out in, in our lives. The, the Galatians that Paul is writing to, um, the churches in Galatia had struggled because somebody came in preaching a false gospel. They said that in order to be saved, you needed to, to believe in Jesus, but you also needed to keep the Mosaic law. Mosaic law. You needed to be circumcised and follow the law and believe in Jesus. And so Paul writes this whole book, this whole letter, to the churches of Galatia to, to clear that up and say, hey, what are you doing? If you read the first chapter, he's like, I'm amazed that you guys are blowing it so bad and you've gone so far astray. Because they, they were jumping back to the old way. They were jumping back to what was comfortable, what was normal, what was typical. They were jumping back to those old sins. And, and so Paul, Paul reminds them of the true gospel. He reminds them that God has set them free from trying to earn their own salvation. Romans 3.10 says, As Scripture says, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. So does that kind of settle for us how we are on our own? That kind of puts us all in the same spot as far as being able to earn our salvation, doesn't it? No one does good. No one is righteous. So why do we still try? To be good enough. Why must we still try to work our way into God's favor? Why do we try to make other people do that as well? None of us can keep the law or earn our own salvation. God has freed us from this. But he's also freed us from judging others according to the law. Now, now let me explain what I mean before you get all over upset. We like to do this when we say, well, I, I know they say they're Christian, but have you heard what they've been saying? Or, or they say they're Christian, but they sure don't come to church anymore. Well, well they say they, they love Jesus, but man, I, I know some things about them. And we like to talk about people behind their back, and, and we like to try and make them live up to the, the standard that God has already said we can't live up to. Is that the heart and the attitude of Jesus? No. Jesus always showed grace and truth. It was never just truth. It was always both. It was always both. Am I saying that everyone who claims to be a Christian is? No. That's not what I'm saying either. Am I saying that, that we shouldn't talk to people about our sin? No. In, in fact, the Bible outlines exactly how we should do it in Matthew 18. The problem is whenever we stand back here and we start trying to determine whether or not people are saved based on how they act and what they do, when we have no right to do that because we do the same things. It's the whole log in your own eye versus the splinter in your friend's eye, right? That's what, what legalism is. Legalism says, well, I can earn my salvation. I'm doing pretty good. And, and I'm a lot better than that person. So I better get on with that person or talk about that person when I'm back. And we've been set free from that. Because the reality is, when we turn the mirror around and we look at ourselves, 
We're no different than that person that we're trying to live up to. Matthew 18 says, instead of doing that, we should go to them. We should speak directly to them. We should ask them and confront them about their sin in love. Not talk about them behind their back. That's how we should approach those issues. Not try to hold them to a standard that we, we can't meet ourselves. By faith, we are set free from trying to be good enough for God. And we're reminded that he accepts us just as we are by his grace. But God doesn't want us to stay there where we are. God doesn't want us to remain in our sin where he found us. Paul approached this in verse 13. He says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. We, we know people. We've been these people. Well, I'm saved. I can do what I want. God's going to forgive me. I can go ahead and do whatever I want. That's not the attitude of Christ, is it? Freedom in Christ is not doing whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, and still get to go to heaven. That's not what we see in Scripture. If, if that's your attitude, well, yeah, I, I prayed a prayer when I was little, or I got saved at BBS, or I got saved at Revival, or I did this, or I did that religious right, religious act, so I can do whatever I want, and I'll just ask forgiveness later. That's not, that's not what we see in Scripture. That's not the attitude of the heart of Christ. Remember, we talked about this in Philippians 2 last week, that Jesus was completely and fully submitted to God. He was fully obedient. And that's the heart that God desires of us. Right? So we're set free from a license to sin. We don't have permission just to go on and do what we want. Salvation does not remove the requirement to obey God. Rather, it gives us the capacity to do so. Obedience is the fruit of salvation. It's not the requirement for salvation. Does that make sense? It's getting the cart ahead of the horse, right? Whenever we try to earn our salvation, we're saying that I can be good enough and I can fix myself and I can get these things right. Then I can approach God and then I can come to him and then I can worship him. And then I can be accepted by him. What the gospel says is no... You come to me with all your filthiness, all your baggage, all your sin, and I forgive you, I wash you clean, and then I make you right, and I start shaping you and molding you into the person I want you to be. You see that difference? And the Bible tells us that we're set free from those things. Jesus said to his disciples, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. The whole book of 1 John is dedicated to helping people know that they know that they know that they're in Christ. And what does it tell us? If you know him, you'll keep his commandments. So obedience is not removed. It's still required. Right? But, but in Christ, we're given the ability to do that. I love how Shane Pruitt puts this. I found this on, on Instagram this week. He says, a Christianity that gets you into heaven while allowing you to continue living however you want here, want to here on earth is a Christianity foreign to the New Testament. The gospel changes who you are, then it also changes what you do. Shane Fruits, the next-gen director for North American Mission Board. And I think that's so true. It's so well done because once our heart has been changed, then we have the ability to do what God wants us to do. Then we have the freedom 
to do what God wants. Not freedom to do whatever we want, but freedom to do what God wants us to do. We call this sanctification. It's the lifelong process of God changing us. But the point that I want all of us to, to grasp this morning is that freedom in Christ is not permission to sin however we want, nor is it authorization to judge people's salvation against rules that we ourselves cannot keep. So these are things we've been freed from. What have we been freed to? Number three, in Christ we have been set free to rest and rejoice in Him. To rest and rejoice in Him. We can rest and rejoice in the truths that we've just listed. That, that our sin that has no power over us. That we don't bear this penalty anymore. That we're freed from trying to earn our salvation. And freed from just living in sin. We can rest and rejoice in that. These truths take the weight off our shoulders. That we've been made right with God through Jesus. Takes the weight and responsibility off of us. It allows us to take that deep breath and rest in God. We can rest in His love and His grace and rejoice because of who He is and what He's done. I shared this earlier. This is the difficult part of most of my life because I grew up in a church that was very much, I believe that they shared the gospel, but the way to the gospel was just to pray this prayer. And so my little mind could only comprehend pray this prayer. And so my little heart, my little mind prayed that prayer hundreds of times as I was growing up. But it, it never was explained to me that, that that prayer had to be prayed in faith. I was just repeating words trying to get into heaven because I knew that I was a rule follower by nature, but I couldn't follow all the rules, so I was trying to fix it. So I prayed every night before I went to bed. I prayed when I woke up. I was always trying to pray that prayer and fix my salvation. But, but when I was 13, I remember I just had to do something. And, and I couldn't really describe what I needed or what I, what I wanted. All I knew is that prayer had not changed my heart. And I needed God to change my heart. And so I refused to pray that prayer when I went forward to the altar that morning at 13. And then, so when I get 15, 16 and start getting in trouble and acting like a fool, now I'm struggling with, well, did I do it right? Because I didn't pray that prayer. And so maybe I, I messed things up here. And I haven't. And when I finally recognized that it wasn't about the words of a prayer, but it was about the faith that I had in Jesus and his power to save me. Whew, you want to talk about a relief. I mean, it changed the direction of my life. Because for so many years, I was still trying to earn my salvation, not recognizing that because of faith, it was already mine. And when we recognize that, when we realize that these truths are true, we realize that God has settled our eternity. That gives us rest. Rest, I describe it this way. Rest means fully, that we fully trust God and are believing in His promises. Rest means we no longer have to try harder because we are at peace with God. Rest means we are not controlled by circumstances or emotion. Rest means we can obey without objection. Rest means we can consider suffering for Christ a privilege. Rest means we no longer have to fear death. 
And the verse that encourages me in this so much is, is Ephesians 2. We know verse 8 and 9 pretty well, but verse 4 through 6 says this. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he, is, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. I added those, that emphasis there because I want you to see this is past tense. This is certain. If you place your faith in Jesus for salvation, your eternity is dealt with. God already sees you as seated with his son Jesus in heaven with him. It's already taken care of. It's dealt with. It's over with. And when we recognize that, that's when we have rest. Rest is knowing that Jesus has secured and sealed your salvation for eternity, and there's nothing more to be done for it. And the natural response to rest is rejoicing. When we can rest, that we're at peace with God, that our eternity is settled, that leads to a heart filled with joy. We can sing songs like we just sang earlier. All the earth will shout your praise. Great are you, Lord. We can, we can confess, God, I don't have much. But this heart, just a hallelujah to all of God. We rejoice because God has set us free. God has delivered us. God has saved us. When we can rest in who Jesus is and what he's done for us, a life is marked by joy. It goes on to say in Galatians 13, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Fourth point, in Christ we have been set free to love and serve others. Our freedom in Christ allows us to serve one another in love the same way that Jesus did. It gives us the confidence, the courage to serve and love the way he did. The, the root word for, for serve here in Galatians 5 is the same word in Galatians uh, uh, verse 1 where, where it's translated slave, it's doulos in the Greek. The word being slave in, in chapter 6 of Romans, Paul talks about this, and, and he makes it pretty clear. Uh, on one hand, he says, you're free from sin, you're free from the law. Now turn and be enslaved to God. You catch that? Don't be slave to the law, don't be slave to sin, be a slave to God. It's as if Paul is saying that the proper response to the truth that Jesus has come and set us free is for us to go and to serve him, to do what, whatever he asks. And, and if you think about it in the sense of someone saving your life, they gave up their own life to save yours. Would, wouldn't you dedicate the rest of your life to honor that person? And that's what Jesus has done, right? And that's what he's called us to. He's called us free from slavery to sin and the law and into slavery to service. 
This is the attitude in the heart that Christ has taught us to. This is the, the law of love that goes from the Old Testament all the way through to the New Testament. And it's only through faith in Christ that we truly have the capacity to do this. On our own, what do we do? You serve us. I serve me. I take care of me and mine. I make sure I got what I want. But in Christ, we don't have to do that. We can be generous with our time and our gifts and even our money. Uh, we, we can sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. We can agree to do those mundane, behind-the-scenes tasks that we never get credit for and nobody ever knows about. Why? Because we are free to love and serve others because we know God is in control and we trust Him to provide and care for us. Our eternity is secure. God loves us. He is for us and he's in control. So I know that whatever I do in obedience to him, he's going to take care of me. He's going to take care of me. Right? So that gives us the freedom to love and serve others. So all of that is well and good. And we know those things with our head. But when it comes to, to living it out in our day-to-day -day lives, that's, if you're like me, that's where I struggle. There's not a day goes by that I don't know these things are true, but I have to remind myself, I have to be reminded of these things in order that my heart and my attitude can, can line up with it. So, so what can we do? I wish there was just a five-step program or a magical formula or something that you could say every day that would, would fix this. I don't think it's that, that simple, but at the same time it is. But this, is, this has been a struggle for, for believers since the beginning of the church. Okay, so one, th one thing, take care you're not alone at all. But I do think there are some things we can do that will help us get in the right direction. So, so here they are, okay? And, and this is just real practical. And the first one is A, trust in Christ for salvation. This is always going to be step one. The first thing we have to do is have a relationship with Jesus. If you've never repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus as your only hope of salvation, that's something you can do today. But the reality is you can't expect behavioral change until there has been heart transformation. As parents, we get in trouble with this a lot because we want our kids to act right. We want them to do right. They better listen. They better obey. So we give them the rules, we give them the law, and that's good. But the reality is our kids, we as adults, we can never really obey until our heart has been changed to allow us to do so. Heart change comes before behavioral change. So for you, maybe you need to just reflect on where you are with Christ. Do you really have a relationship with him? Or have you just gone through some ritual, some rite of passage, some religious act, and calling that salvation? Look at your life. Does it reflect a heart of obedience? If not, then you can trust in Christ for salvation today. Number two, letter B, pray and seek the Lord. James 4, 8 says, come close to God and God will come close to you. I know, again, this is basic, this is simple. You've heard all the time, 
We always tell you to read your Bible and pray. The question is, do we do it? I heard a statistic not long ago that, that pastors spend an average of four minutes in prayer a day. That blew me away. It terrified me and it convicted me. Four minutes a day. How would your life change if you just changed your, your habits, your routine, and said, I'm going to dedicate this time to God? Spending in his word and praying. Even if it is just five minutes to start with. And then grow from there. That will change how you live. That will help you obey. When you know God, you know what his desire is. And you're encouraged by his word and the power of his Holy Spirit to do it. Number C, join a small group. The reality is, God never intended for us to do Christianity alone. He never intended for you to study and grow and learn alone because guess what's going to happen if you leave me to read this Bible by myself only and I never talk to anybody about it, I'm probably going to mess it up. I'm probably going to get off the rails. But when I'm in a small group of other believers and I bring this to them, they can correct me and guide me and point me back, right? And we can encourage one another, we can challenge one another, and we can help each other go. If, if you're not in one, Email us, info at the Grove Baptist, Drew at the Grove Ross, we'll figure out, we'll work through the issues with you. And if there's still not a group that works, then let's start a new one. But let's get in community and let's grow and work together. Join a small group. And the last one, confess your struggles to a trusted friend. You want to overcome your sin, you want to have true freedom, you want to be set free from the thing that keeps holding you back. Again, you're not going to do it alone. James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We have to expose the darkness to the light if we want it to be changed. Even if you're an introvert, you need one or two trusted friends that you can pray with, that can challenge you and challenge each other, encourage you and confess sin to you. So that you may be healed. So don't give up. Don't give in. Don't quit. There is hope. There is freedom. It's only found in Jesus. So this morning, I don't know how God has spoken to you, but I trust because he is good and he is faithful that he has. So in a minute, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to ask you to respond to God however he sees fit. That means coming and praying. Ross and I will be down here to pray with you. If that means you need to accept Christ, I beg you, come. Let us walk you through that. Or just tell us that you've done it so we can celebrate with you. But listen, don't let this opportunity pass. We can, we can sing the song without you, okay? You do business with God, all right? Let's pray. Father, you are good. You are holy, and I love you, and I thank you for today. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for freedom that we can only find in your son, Jesus. And I pray that your freedom would reign in this place today, that we would do business with you, we'd be real with you about our struggles, about our salvation, about whatever's going on in our heart. And I pray that this
this time will be a time of rejoicing and celebration because we are resting in you and running to you for freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Won't you come? You guys stand.